Thanks for tuning in to Body Count, the podcast for theblackesteyes.com. My name is Philip, and on the line with me, we have Scott and Danny. And we are three friends who try our best to have intelligent conversation about horror movies. You know, we try to talk about worldview and faith and philosophy and how those intersect the horror genre. And sometimes we do a good job with that, and sometimes we fail miserably. So we're going to see how it goes tonight. Guys, it's been a long time since we've recorded. It really is good to be back on the air with you to discuss horror movies. It's Memorial Day weekend. Just real quick, you guys got anything going on? Uh, I do not. I do not have any plans. I have some some family coming in and probably do some cooking out, but uh, no. uh, Did you say sorry, Scott? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. I I feel like I'm letting you down. I don't have any plans. We're just... um, (laughs) Yeah, we're boring. That's good. Boring yeah. is good. Yeah. Watch some movies, maybe. And yeah, well, it's just me and the wife, right? So our son has grown, and he's living in Denver now, Denver, Colorado, and he's done with college. And so you know, when and we both work real hard. So whenever we get like a three day weekend, we just want to sit around, watch Netflix, and go out to eat. You know maybe. what's interesting about that? You know, both of you, we all have children, so either one of you can speak to this. Um, but did you experience the reality of when you had children and you got into the middle of that and that was your life, especially with young children? Did you all have, did you experience the thing where you kind of, what exactly did we do when there wasn't children? You know, like what did my life actually look like? Did you all go through that stage? I have no vision of it right now in the, in the middle of, uh, I'm older than you know, either of you and I still have a 10 year old. So I'm still right in the middle of you know, dealing with the daily youngins. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I just don't, it's just like, it's just a, I mean, of course I remember when I was, didn't have children, but it's just the, having a family now is so part of my life. It's just who I am that it's hard to remember what that was like beforehand. Anyway, the question I'm asking Scott is I, I often wonder when my children are out of the house, mm. will it be hard for me to remember what it was like when they were 10 years old? Do you go, do you go through that or is it? Not, is not it- so much anymore, but when our son, so our son graduated from college last May. And so we've been, just the two of us again, me and my wife for a little over four years. But at first, when he first went off to college, he went to another state to go to school. And yeah, I think there was a a little bit of time where my wife and I, we kind of looked at each other over the table and we thought, what do we talk about? Because usually you're talking about the kids or you're talking about family business. And without Jacob being present, I mean, we still talked about him, but without him being in a sort of a daily hourly part of our lives, it really, yeah, I think it took a bit of adjusting. It was all right, but not anymore. Yeah, sure. But, but really not anymore. And now when he comes to visit us, uh, then it's, then it's weird, you know, then it's like, oh, is there's a third person in the house again? And how do we, how do we manage that? So on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the reasons why I think the idea of really cultivating the husband and wife relationship and continuing to pursue that, even when there's young children is so important for a variety of reasons, but that is a huge one. Those kids are not going to be in the house and there is life that has to keep moving on. Speaking of family, we're going to talk about a movie tonight that is very heavily revolved around the home and around family. 
Uh, I wish I could say it was an uplifting portrayal of family, but this is one of the most devastating movies I have watched in a long, long time. So tonight we're going to be talking about Hereditary, uh, which was directed by Ari Aster and released in 2018. Uh, the movie is just so brutal in so many ways. It hits on every emotional element. And so I was going to see if one of you guys would be willing to give us an, uh, just a very, very quick summary of the movie, the plot, so that we can kind of jump in and begin to dissect what we think is going on here. Would one of you guys be willing to do that? Danny, why don't you go for it? Uh, well, I will do that, uh, though. I think both of y'all have watched it more recently than I have. <laughs> uh, but I can Wait, be, is it better? Is it easier for one of us to do it? No, I think so? I'm all right. Uh, I okay. should be okay. You all fill in any blanks I'll leave out. Uh, the basic idea of the movie uh, of Hereditary, um, it, it, there's a the small family, a husband and wife and uh, two children, a teenage son and a, a young daughter uh, who is somewhere on the autism spectrum, I imagine. Uh, and the mother is an artist and she makes miniature houses. Uh, the film opens with the grandmother. Uh, the, the mother's mother has just passed away. Uh, it, it opens with them preparing for the funeral. And it's very quickly a vision of a, of a broken family. Uh, there's a distance between, obviously, the, the autistic child and the rest of the family. There's a disconnect there. There's the alienation of the teenage kid. Um the film gets into some tragic events um, and about halfway through, so the first half of the movie feels like a family drama. There are certainly some horror elements. Uh, it's paced like a horror film, um, but there aren't any supernatural elements or there's at least only hints of supernatural elements. About halfway through, things go absolutely insane and it turns into uh, a very dark supernatural uh, uh, witchcraft focused movie that I know a lot of people who saw the film were really turned off by that just sudden switch into a, a, a it's almost like it's a completely different film in the second half of the film all right I think is that okay <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. And as we go through the talking through the rest of the podcast, you know, we may have to get specific with some spoilers and whatnot. So we can just go ahead and give that alert. Yeah, it's been out long enough, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to get upset or <laughs> we let the people know what's going on here. So let's just get ideas here about uh, what we thought about the movie. Um, I don't know if you can say it's an enjoyable experience to watch, but did you think that it did it succeed in what it was attempting to do? Did you like the movie? Scott, what'd you think? Yeah, it's, um, it's a disturbed, dark and disturbing and unsettling movie. Um, it, so when I saw it first, I saw it in the movie theater and there are a few, there are a few scenes where people were screaming, uh, you know, just hollering because of sudden shocking images or disturbing moments, or that, you know, you've suddenly realized there's someone in the, in the shadows or whatever. So it has its scares. Um, it had, you know, but one of the criticisms I've heard a lot or read about is where people say that, you know, it's just not that scary until maybe the last bit. And then it's a little confusing too. I, 
I didn't have that experience. I mean, I yeah, it's it's a complex plot and it does get a little confusing. Maybe I I, I found it to be a little bit helpful to see it the second time today. And um, but did it do what it was setting out to do for me? I think so. I, I mean, I I was intrigued. I, I certainly was never bored, even though it does kind of the pace of it at the beginning is um, mm-hmm. you know a little a little slow maybe. But uh, for me, um, I'm a big fan of Tony Collette, and she's the actress who plays the mother Annie. She's kind of a the central, sort of the central character, one of the central characters in this family. And I think she's just very, very good actress. I've seen her in other things, and, and um, she was in a Showtime or HBO show called United States of Terra, and. Um, Boy, that was so. Anyway, my point is that she carried it for me a lot of the way through. You know, I found that to be—I just couldn't take my eyes off her. I thought she was very impressive. She should have gotten an Oscar. Awesome. I, I, I really, I really, honestly believe that was the best performance of the year, with no one even close. And the fact that she didn't get even a nomination, she did get nominated for other awards. So some people did recognize. Um, I, I Scott and I talked about this through chat or email right after uh, we both saw it. And it's like cliche of being on the edge of your seat. I was literally on the edge (laughs) of my seat watching the movie. I I kept getting closer to the screen to where I was just barely hanging off my chair. Wow. It was such, I felt this film more intensely than I've felt any horror film in years. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I'll be able to vocalize as we go through this what exactly it was, but I was invested. And I was invested despite the fact, if you talk to any of my film students or any of my friends that are film buffs that talk to me all the time, I don't like movies if the characters are unlockable. Mm. And I don't think anyone in this movie is particularly likable. Mm-hmm. And I was yeah. still scared for them for the entire movie. I think the Gabriel Byrne father is ultimately unlockable. I think the teenage son is ultimately unlockable. Uh, obviously the, the daughter with autism is, a, she isn't around long enough and she's, you know, she's hard to connect to. Uh, and then the Tony Collette character has her problems. I and mean, at one point her teenage son wakes up and she's getting ready to light him on fire. Right, mm-hmm. that has happened in the past. So these are not characters that I could relate to, or I was uh, should have been emotionally invested in. But I was emotionally invested from the opening shot of this film all the way through it. Yeah, and I think the the non likable factor of the family goes to the heart of the whole point of the theme of the movie: the the, the the pain of this family's life and the destruction and what they've been through and what they're going through. Uh, yields personalities. I mean, let's just talk about that for a minute. I found Steve actually to be pretty likable. I thought the husband uh, was trying his best to to keep peace, and you would see actual physical um, <clears throat> displays of affection, uh, reaching out and touching and holding and connecting with the son when something bad happened. And I thought, wow, here's a dad that's actually at least trying. Whether or not he's succeeding is another story. But so many films portray the dad as just a loser who's not there, who doesn't understand affection, doesn't understand how to actually display love. So I thought at least they gave him a little bit of that, which was helpful. But what I found to be interesting about the family is that it seems like they don't trust each other. Like the, the motives, they don't know what one another's motives really are. And so 
when I think of the home, I think of a place that's supposed to be an environment, a safe environment where we can be vulnerable, we can be exposed, we can be real, we can show our true colors, and there's going to be an embrace in that. There's going to be an acceptance of that. But in this home, it's as if no one really knows what's behind the scenes. Are you really saying that? There's a lot of pauses in between conversations. Then it's like, well, what about you? What do you think then? And then it ultimately this leads to this this break in the conversation and so much tension. So even watching what should be normal conversations is hard in this movie. And uh, as someone who just uh, thinks a lot about the home and the family, I found that hard to watch throughout the entire film because they were so untrusting of one another. Mm, yeah. And there's a mental health element to this too. Um, there, we, we learn about Annie's family, um, starting really at the beginning with her, with the death of her mother, but she goes to a grief support group and she starts to kind of tell about how her father died because he starved himself to death and her son, her brother committed suicide. And, and there's a lot of, well, dark, uh, dark past. There's a dark, a lot of skeletons in the closet and there's a lot of suggestion of mental illness. And so I, 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 there were times where I wondered if what we were witnessing was, really happening or are people hallucinating because there were mm-hmm. there were a few moments where you were caught in a dream um where something was occurring and then they wake up so there were a few times where i i kept thinking that was going to happen and and it, so i thought that was intriguing that it brought in sort of the mental health mental illness sort of element to it which can film- be very disrupting to a family yeah i think the film had you question the reality throughout uh uh, because of the the interaction with the dollhouses, you know the mother makes these hyper realistic dollhouses. When they, the very opening shot has the camera cl- slowly going into one of these dollhouses, and when it gets inside, it's the son's bedroom, and we're in in live action. You know? uh, we're in re- in reality. Uh, so it, there there's a hint right from the start that we need to question what's real and what is artificial. In the yeah, that's good. And, uh, you know, that opening scene lets you know this is going to be a good movie. At least it did to me. I mean, if somebody can pull off that beautiful of an opening shot, I'm ready to watch the whole movie, uh, whatever it may become. I, I just thought it was a gorgeous beginning shot to the film. Um, <clears throat> shame, shame seems to be another thing that I wrote down in the movie. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, that she will not tell her husband that she's going to grief counseling. She yeah. keeps saying she's going to the, to the movies. And not one time did the husband ever ask, what movie did you see? I just think, you know, that's one of those realism things. That's never not going to happen. Uh, you've got to put that, you've, you have to put that dialogue in the film. You know, I mean, if Carmela just walks into the door and says, I've been to the movies, are you just going to sit there, Danny? I mean, of course not. I mean, you're going to ask, what did you go see? It would have added a little bit more to, to the realism that the film so beautifully captures. I, I never understood. Do you think that was done intentionally? Oh, actually, just- I think it was. Cause if you think about, uh, and I'm hoping I'm not messing this up. I have not seen it uh, very recently, but, uh, at, one of the reasons I didn't like him is, uh, didn't like the father by the end of the movie is he didn't believe his wife. And I don't think he ever thought she was going to the movies. Cause he says, 
you you're instead of going to the movies, you went to the graveyard and dug up your mom, right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. he, yeah. when the, they find the body in the attic at the end, he immediately goes, "Oh, so that's where you were going when I knew you weren't going to the movies." So yeah, I don't think but to his credit, <laughs> I mean, she's been acting <laughs> extremely weird. I mean, doing seances and seeing things and things on fire, and I mean, th- he may have had some reason to be a little suspicious that somebody else actually dug up the mom, got into their house, went up into the attic and deposited the body in the attic. I mean, so, I mean, you know, there is some potential there to be on his side as well. I think. Uh, 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 that's fair. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I, he, he can't be, uh, I mean, he, he does think that she's losing her mind. But he did experience the supernatural at the seance too, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that, you yeah know, that's interesting. Were, that's one of those things we're asking. Is it really happening? Like, answer me this question. You know, when the 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 scene where Peter wakes up and he sees the decapitated head fall, but it's actually a ball. You know, and then mm-hmm. his head starts getting pulled. That really mm-hmm. uh, frightening scene. And then all of a sudden. Uh, the mom is standing in the middle of the room saying, what's wrong? What's wrong? Why are you yelling? And he says back, why were you pulling my head? What are you trying to do? Like what was happening in that scene? Right. Was the mom was he one actually pulling? Was, she, was he dreaming? Was she dreaming? And I don't think we ever really are given the answer, are we? What was happening no. there? No, no, certainly not. But we do, uh, we do uh, of course, learn that he did wake up and find her over his bed trying to set him on fire at one point in his life. So it, he you can imagine being a little suspicious. Yeah, yeah. And, she, of course, she attributed that to sleepwalking, and she was incredibly emphatic about that with Joan at the beginning, wasn't it? And, and, yeah. and even Joan, and I think we are thinking, hmm. Sleepwalking. <laughs> are you sleepwalking? Yeah. That's a pretty elaborate sleepwalking. Yeah, so, I mean, people know, do funny things. <clears throat> oh, go ahead. People I do. <laughs> People do funny things when they sleepwalk, but that particular, it was so specific that she had doused her children with paint thinner and was lighting a match. And he woke up when that occurred and she, and she woke up and he's terrified and screams and then he never lets her forget about it forever. And uh, yeah, that struck me as kind of a strange thing to just simply attribute to sleepwalking. Just sleepwalking, yeah. And I love how she says, you know, almost accusatory, you know, he just doesn't, he just never has really trusted me anymore. And I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. well, you think so? You know, I mean, that's going to be a pretty traumatic uh, deal. And I, I, another theme I think in the film that I picked up on, tell me if you noticed this, was it seems that an admission of guilt is a real problem in the house. Uh, yeah. no, no one wants to admit whatever role they may be playing in the disruption of the family unit. Uh, even at the grief session, uh, she's laying blame on others. She's the one that's blamed, uh, and it's all about other people. And then at the dinner table, again, this comes up. Um, there's a really long pause. This was so well directed, a really long pause. And then Peter says, well, what about you, Mom? Uh, she didn't want to go to the party, uh, so why was she there? Which I thought was a perfectly legitimate question, considering the fact she had just completely screamed her head off at the fact that he's never taking any responsibility for what happened. Mm-hmm. Well, are you going to take any as well? So those are really hard conversations, aren't there? And and what I love is this is, even though the movie is not reality, this is reality. Family, in part, will be hard conversations, hard conversations that might not have clear answers that you have to work through 
And I, I just found those parts of the film so compelling. You were saying, Scott, that people were like kind of jumping and scaring, but I, there really weren't that many jump scares in the movie, were there? Well, uh, it, it there, seemed there, like- was, there was at least two. They weren't jump scares, but they were, they were like freak me out scares. So one of them was the beheading. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we've actually mentioned that yet, that the, the little girl um, is at this party with her older brother. She didn't want to go mom. He didn't want to take her, but mom insisted, but she's there. And we learned early in the film that she has a nut allergy. And while she's at this party, he goes away to be with this girl and to smoke uh, marijuana. And she ends up eating a piece of chocolate cake and it has nuts and her throat begins to constrict. He drives her, he, he, he grabs her, he, the, the brother takes her to the hospital, tries to take her to the hospital. And while she's choking, she sticks her head out the car window. He's flying down the dark road and he swerves to avoid hitting a deer. And her head hits this telephone pole and she's decapitated. There were screams. When that happened, people were, they were, or maybe more like, you know, people shouting. They were moaning. They were, you know, moaning and groaning because it, it, you just felt that. It just felt, oh my goodness. People were pretty stunned by that. But then there's that other scene later on, right at the end, toward the end, when the son, uh, he wakes up. And mom is now totally possessed by some supernatural entity and she's in the shadows. I don't know if you even saw this because it wasn't as clear on my TV as it was in the movie theater. She's in the shadows in the corner, upper corner of the, of the room by the ceiling. And at first you don't see her, but then you start it. Your eyes adjust and you start to see her there and people let out, some vocalizations at that point too. Yeah. yeah. They were, it wasn't your traditional jump scare, like a cat no, jumping off no. out, out, you know, in front of you, but they but were, what, yeah. What I loved about it though, is that the film could have very easily lent itself. He could, the director could have gone that route easily in a million different places in the movie. Uh, sometimes almost, I think he intentionally directed as if you're expect you're bracing yourself for a jump because you're so used to it. And it's not there. Like when she turns around at one point in the, she's in the living room and she turns around and it's just that classic, the camera is panning and following and you're expecting to see something once she makes the complete turnaround, but nothing's there. And there's nothing to be scared of. Uh, so he didn't give in to that temptation. One of the reasons I love the movie, because I thought it was terrifying, but not for those typical tropes uh, that we're used to. What did you? What do you think, Danny? Uh, well, I, I think you're right. And I think the only uh, trope is that uh, jumped out at me is one that Scott's just mentioned, is that they swerved to avoid a deer that caused the accident. I think this is the sixth film that we've recorded episodes about. That's <laughs> funny, is it really? A deer yeah. being hit or swerved to avoid it at the, at the beginning of it. No, I agree with all And I think one of the reasons I, you know, I said I was on the edge of my seat, I think maybe all that build up tension without the release of a jump scare yeah, or yeah. an easy you know, or, or a goofy laugh or, you know, the things that other horror films might do to, to either pay off the tension or lessen the tension. You don't get it. It just keeps building and building uh, until that this almost bizarre wicker man ish kind of ending uh, 
when I guess everything pays off at the end. I, I was left really satisfied that it had told a complete story. But uh, Oh, good. Well, I can't wait to hear what, what your thoughts on that. But, you know, one of the things, sometimes we talk about tropes and cliches as if they are a bad thing. Um, and sometimes they can be, especially if they're done in a way that's just so predictable and horrible. But the fact is we're horror movie fans. We kind of like those things. Uh, there's a reason that we became horror movie fans because of certain elements that we find in horror movies that are appealing to us. So what's neat about this movie is there's still, there's all kinds of classic stuff. We have severed heads with ants crawling on them. We have cheese ball seances with candles moving and glasses going around. We have things like uh, Annabelle horror and the exorcist and all these kinds of elements in the film. And yet none of, I was never left thinking this is just another seance movie. You know what I mean? And I think that's oh, really yeah. special. Yeah. The, uh, I think of the art journal when it's laying on the bed and the pages start turning. It was, that's just sort of classic ghost movie little scene there. But, uh, but yeah, obviously it has a lot of the normal haunted house horror movie kind of tropes, but, uh, it subverts a lot of them. And then it also, you know, just completely defies some that you're expecting. Yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> let me mention a couple of other things I noticed and you all tell me some things maybe that you're thinking about. Um, another thing I noticed that you don't really see any professionals in this movie. And, and what's, what's, what got me started thinking about this was the funeral because all you see at the funeral is the mom talking about her mom. The you mom know? does the eulogy. I actually have that in my notes, and I'm not sure why I put that in my notes. But yes, yeah, yeah the mom is doing. It's a, of course a very awkward uh, <laughs> eulogy to say the least. Although I've been in some pretty weird ones, let me tell you. But uh, I'm a pastor. For those who don't know, uh, but where was the pastor? Where was the priest? You know, even at the graveyard scene it's not really highlighted that much. Where are the doctors? Even though Peter apparently went to the hospital or something, we never see that. Where are the police? Why are there no cops ever at the house? It seems like the it's so confined to this family unit that we don't see those other people who apparently are there, but we, we never see them, you know, the yeah, other period. than the, the group session grief counseling, there's, it's like the family lives in a vacuum. I mean, obviously the teenage boy goes to a party and stuff, but it is very much once they get away from those, those moments, they're, they're very isolated from the rest of the world. Mm. They're like, they're living in a dollhouse maybe. Wow. That's pretty good. good uh, the, uh, <laughs> back to that eulogy just really quickly. It was really, really awkward. Do you think at least someone would have told her that it probably wasn't a great idea to talk about her mom's secret rituals and how <laughs> private she was? And, like there was, you didn't. There was no one there that left comforted by by that proce- proceedings. I don't believe. <laughs> right. But it did set the, again set what the movie was going to be up very, very well. Yeah, using the language, even the language of using the word ritual um, mm-hmm. was, was a neat kind of foreshadowing to what we were getting ready to get into. Yeah, absolutely. We get Charlie's clicking set sounds in that open the funeral scene. We get the foreshadowing of the nut allergy because they yeah. said, "Did mm-hmm. you bring your EpiPen?" Like they sets up a lot of the movie in just a few minutes there at the beginning. By the way, one of the if you want to talk about a jump scare, one of the the the, the times I jumped the most was in that random cluck of the tongue when the mom's in the car. That was that was really scary. 
and she's great. Good, great in the classroom with Peter, also. Yes, absolutely. And, yeah, and he ends up beating his face against the. That was. I thought that was a brutal scene. And he's another one that should have gotten some recognition. I don't know that actor's name, but he he he's pretty central, and he did. I thought a pretty amazing job, if, and that if, scene stands out. The acting was superb. Oh, and Dowd is just absolutely superb. She is so fantastic. Uh, I was, was turned. I was, uh, yes, I was actually turned That's on general. to her in an early. I'm a Law and Order nut, and she was in uh, several Law and Orders in the early '90s, and she played characters that were uh, a bit mentally off. And in one performance, she was a, a mom who had been promised an adoptive child. But the mother of this child was just playing everybody for cash. I don't know if y'all watch Law and Order, if you remember this. So she promises a kid to a parent. She gets all the money from that adopting process, but then she never actually lets go of the kid. And she just keeps raking in all this money from all these different parents. Well, Ann Dowd played one of those moms, took business into her own hands, and ended up killing uh, the parent that actually got the kid because she thought the kid belonged to her. And she plays this this totally mentally broken woman throughout the episode, and she is phenomenal in it. And I've been a fan of hers ever since I saw that Law and Order. And I thought she was great in this as well. Yeah, very similar kind of thing. Okay, one thing else I noticed is at the grief at the grief uh, time at the funeral, there were these pictures where all these people are standing around um, Annie and. They are just lifeless. They're just still. They're just there while Annie's breaking down. And Brian, like, wasn't the grief counseling thing almost a, almost a scary scene? I, it was like they were zombies almost. Like they're, At one point, finally, the leader said something about blame, but she's just launching into this thing, and they're there, but they're kind of lifeless. Granted, they probably have no idea what to say or what's appropriate. But then at the funeral scene, it's this similar kind of setup. There's like this rounded uh, group of people around her, but it's just like this this lifeless, as if there's really nothing to offer her. You know, uh, that was that was a powerful couple of scenes for me, and, and in terms of the depth of her loneliness and her grief at those moments. You guys rewatched today. Were any of those uh, support group members also cult members at the end besides Joan? I don't I know, notice. but what's the, what's the history team? Hard to tell what their clothes off, right? You yeah. What's clothed and what's... A, I well, was that history teacher one of them? Uh, you I don't remember. What? that. That's one thing I wish I had got a chance to rewatch for that reason. Okay, yeah, you remember... Because I mean, they were so much in the dark. It was... Yeah, it was hard to say. Yeah, it was hard to see. Yeah. You remember the scene, though, when she's up on the ceiling like you were talking about? And then yeah. he gets distracted by something else, and he sees three adult characters like in right. the corner and one of those was like a tall uh like a gray beard and i was like whoa is that the history teacher because that's gonna be really weird um but i never could figure it out so i don't know i'll have to check that out when i rewatch it um that scene is disturbing i just thought that, that you know any t- there's so many sort of just suddenly there were people there <laughs> scenes in this movie like you're in a room and you think it's one character and suddenly there's no, whether it's the mom in the dark or like there's one case early where the she thinks she sees her mother in the the room you see the shadow of the mom but when the lights come on she's not there and there's just i don't know that might be a thing that uh, a personal thing that scares me uh, it's the uh, suddenly turning around and someone being there but i thought that was all through the movie 
So let's talk about how the movie wraps up in, in the conclusion. And, uh, when, you know, as I've been, as I think about this through a Christian worldview, there's so much about this movie that is obviously spiritual. And yet the Christian elements in the film are non-existent except basically until the very end when all of a sudden the demon spirit is rejecting the Holy Trinity. Where is that coming from? Because we haven't seen any pastors. We've seen no mention of faith, of church, uh, nothing of a traditional Christian biblical context or any other context for that matter. It's traditional spiritual um, seance and bringing back from the dead, wherever that may be. But there's been, there were no explicit biblical teachings, Christian teachings until the mention of the Holy Trinity at the very, very end of the movie, which just left me, my jaw just dropped. I said, well, why, why drop this in now? That's so fascinating to me. Uh, any ideas on that? I don't have a theory, but it struck me too, because that's when Joan uh, it's the voice of Joan describing, you know, really wrapping it up and telling us what we just watched and what the last scene means where, uh, the, the son is now possessed and is, is this Paimon. He's, uh, one of the Kings of hell, they say, but yeah, she's describing what, what has been going on all the, all along. And then she does, you, you know, just interject that little line about, we reject the Trinity. I, I caught that as well there. And, and it, I don't know what that means. I don't know if there's anything that any, um, you know, meaning that we can draw from that, but it it was striking. Yeah. And I couldn't find in the little image at the beginning that ran throughout the film, by the way, did you all notice that like in the lampshade and the curtains or did I just make that stuff up? Was that, did you see that imagery throughout the film? What, what image is that? You know, the little, you mean the, the medallion? The Paimon? Well, oh, yeah. like the little arches, you know, that uh, the, the mm-hmm. Ellen had sewn and whatnot. It just, yeah, they're all over the place. It just seems like I'm seeing them, yeah. And you're right that I had actually, guys, I missed this entirely, but uh, you know, none of the iconography of that cult or anything uh, uh, was was Christian in nature, right? So, yeah. yeah, no crosses, no nothing. Um, so consistent. And that's, it, uh, yeah. yeah, please go ahead. I mean, that's strange because a lot of times in, in horror films, um, you know, even the cheesy ones and some of the best cheesy ones, you know, there will be a priest or there will be a cross or there will be, you know, some kind of imagery that reflects Christianity or sort of a Judeo-Christian context. Mm-hmm. And this was totally, I, I, at least for me, I got the impression that, that the family was totally secular until they begin to, or Annie begins to experiment with spiritualism. Right. And the priest also in movies can represent the hope of the film, mm-hmm. that there's good here, that there's someone who's rallying. What's the hope of this movie? Where, who is the good element in this film? I, I think it's a, I think it's a devastating movie. It is. I, I don't think there is any hope I don't either. and it, it, it kicks you in the pants and, and, and there's no humor in it either. I, am I right? The, uh, there were no comedic relief moments that I can think of. You know, the guy smoking weed in the background talking about their friend that calls his girlfriend princess. But you're distracted by that because poor Peter is about to die in the fourth. Yeah, he's having a heart attack yeah. or something. And um, yeah, there, there was a little bit of the boys kind of being uh, tomfool, you know, some tomfoolery, but not, not much. Really. There's no. never there's never any levity 
in order to break the tension. Right. The, no. There may be a couple of bits, but they're, they don't play into the, to the main story at all. Uh, no, this film is, I mean, I think it's pretty nihilistic and, uh, it probably fits in with the trend in literary horror right now, which is towards, uh, sort of this entropic nihilism that we're, you know, we're suffering this code death of the universe kind of thing. Very big in uh, literary horror at the moment. So I think this film feels like it fits in with the current trends. Uh, if you read, uh, uh, Paul Tremblay or some of those guys, it's very much uh, sort of the hopelessness of life on earth kind of thing. And this kind of feels like that at the end. Mm, yeah. So how do you, how would you all explain to me, uh, what happened? Actually, let me ask this question first. It seemed that Annie was the link to the scrapbook and she wants Steve to throw it in. So this curse can be over. She throws it in, but Steve catches on fire. Yeah. So can you, what happened there? I didn't really, I didn't, I never really was able to process that one. I'm actually not sure what the, the magical connection between the book and the fires thing was other than it, I guess it is kind of tropey, right? Uh, this physical as well, as spiritual connection between the, the image and the, and the person. But, uh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, it's not the question I thought you were going to ask, but, uh, uh, if we want to talk about the, how it ends, did you, th- so there was, like we said at the beginning, there's anger from some people. This movie had a, uh, a cinema score of a D plus. Yeah. It's almost unheard of because, you know, people go see movies that they think they're going to like. So the average movie, even like really bad movies have a C. Right? Mm-hmm. So the audience despised this movie. Uh, and it goes to that ending for a lot of people. Did, did you all have, did you find the ending to be unearned? I didn't. I don't know. I, no, I, it, it, I have to wonder if that's Danny because of what we just said. There, there is no glimmer of hope in this entire film, and I just don't think people like that. I really don't. Uh, they, we need to see some good somewhere, you know. Well, I, I think it's also this was a this was a very serious movie, and you know, a lot of this was more, you know, until the last half hour. It was. It could have been a totally different movie. It was just like a family drama, and I think a lot of people went maybe to see this movie expecting a typical horror film, and this one isn't. It, it's it's a family drama with a horror element, and then at the end it becomes full on hardcore horror. And I, and I think and the- I think people felt like there was a bait and switch. Yeah, the advertising campaign was it Get Out that they pushed this one right after? There, there had it might not have been Get Out, but there had recently been a big hit horror film, and the ads for Hereditary were basically you like that one, come come watch ours. Uh, so I think it did probably draw a lot of people in as the next hot horror film, and then you get in and it's you know thoughtful and intelligent and slow, and, and it's not. It didn't meet expectations, you know. But I have heard lots of people complain about just being completely confused by the end. Of the yeah, movie. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I read one uh, feedback that said 
I would be hard pressed to recommend this movie to anyone who is experiencing mental health issues or who are going through a hard time with their own family because it's going to hit too close to home. And I think there's some truth to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, this is, this, I read a comment along those lines also. This is a hard movie to watch. And, uh, um, and then there's just no redeeming value in the sense of um, get, getting out of those hard conversations. Where do we finally see the light at the end of the tunnel? Well, we don't. Uh, the guy turns into a demon, apparently. So, so let's talk about that then. Uh, how did you understand the end of the film, Danny? So, all right. Again, it's not completely fresh in my mind, but uh, Charlie was expected to be a, a boy, right? That was... The, the hope was that uh, Charlie would be born a boy and I think was going to be the vessel for the demon. Yeah. Charlie, uh, but, right. but instead uh, the, the demon comes into the brother's body, right? Is that, was that the ideal? That, so I got. that Charlie, that Charlie's di- Charlie's death was, in order to clear the path for the demon to come through the other. Right. Because the demon didn't ultimately want to be in Charlie. No, because it was, was a woman. Because it's because she was. A girl. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I want to talk the about demon that. Demon wants to be in a, in a male body. In a male body. Yeah. Keep going. Uh, I, d- I don't know. Um, I have nothing else to say about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, okay. About, so. about, about yeah. the, I mean, that, that was my interpretation of what was going on in the end. And we end with the demon arisen, right. In, in physical form. And again, a, a super dark ending. There's no, there's nothing after that final moment. So we, we, we go to credits and bad has won. Right. I, you don't know what's going to happen after this, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be good. It's not going to be good, is it? After Charlie dies, where does the demon go? Is this is Annie temporarily possessed? Well, I think she. I around? think there are moments when she is. Yeah, I think there are moments when Annie is the vessel. Because uh, you know, did you notice there was like a, a a wave of light? Yeah. In several scenes, and it seemed like when the wave of light came over you then you were momentarily possessed by something. I don't know if you noticed that or caught yeah, that. Yeah, it yeah. happened to it happened to Annie during the seance. It happened to, um, I forget the brother's name, um, but it happened to him a couple of times. And it happened right at the end when he jumps out the window of the attic of the house and lands in the garden face first. And then you see the wave of light come and center on his back. And then he, he wakes up and he gets up and then he goes in and he gets crowned and they have this ritual and this weird mannequin idol God and the explanation from Joan. And then at the very end, to me, the very end is this is the weird um, throwing in of Judy Collins cheerful song oh, the both, both sides mm-hmm. now yeah mm-hmm. yeah that I, I that that seemed uh, i that i'm still trying to put my wrap my head around that does that suggest that the light entering peter's body was charlie mm-hmm. uh, i don't gender, know is it a gender thing there no, I, I, mean, I, think charlie, I think charlie freed from her femaleness so she can now Role as a man inside Peter's body in service of Paimon or whoever that is. 
I, I didn't go there. I thought it was Paimon the whole time, but that's an interesting take on it. Well, I think I, I thought it was Paimon too, but um, there was something. Charlie was tied into it somehow too, but he needed to be in a in a male body. I mean, that's as much as I can does it, re- reason does that it, out. Doesn't Joan call him Charlie? She yes. does. Yes, she does. At the end, she says it's okay, Charlie, because he's looking around. Charlie. Yeah, he does. He he. She Joan calls the the brother Charlie by Charlie's name. Yeah, and Charlie and being the sister. So did so did Annie at one point on the phone with Steve called Peter Charlie, and then because yeah. he was like because he said because Steve was the dad was he said guess who just got hurt at school. Yeah, she's is that what you mean? And Annie said, Charlie. Annie says, but Charlie? Right. No. But Charlie's already dead. At that yeah, right. Okay. Right. But what's interesting is when you read the book of spirituality, which wasn't that exactly what it was called. I mean, you can't get it in the book of spirituality. <laughs> it was called, it was. And professionally published. Like it was a hardback. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, golly, it's so funny. But you read in, once you got that back, she got that out, or maybe it was a different book, I don't remember. But when it talked about Paimon, it, it, it's not that the demon needed a male body for some specific reason. It seemed that it was just a preferential thing. Pre- prefers a male body, wants to be in a male body. And I, I can't, I just, that's unbelievable to me that a movie made in 2018, um, we are in the middle of a sexual moral revolution, to put it mildly, that a film like this is going to, for whatever reason, throw in that plot twist that this thing needs a male body. And there's no explanation mm. that I could find. So why? Why would they include that? in the movie did y'all pick up on anything there that i'm missing well we assume that uh you know these pagan religions are are older and you know potentially patriarchal i know a lot of a lot of them were not but it may just be the sort of natural inclination of religions to be patriarchal it may be nothing more than that i don't know if gender is a big issue here that's that's really a big question that I need to think about as I prepare to teach for the teach this film a few months from now in my horror class, uh, is gender even something we need to be talking about? Oh gosh, how can you not? I mean, the whole point of the movie is it's got to get from Charlie to get to Peter, but then you see that, but the, the majority of the film though is driven by females. So Joan and Annie are in some ways the strongest, uh, the strongest portions of the film. Certainly not. Peter. And the grandmother who, by the way, we have not mentioned. The grandmother set mm-hmm. this all yeah. spinning, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. She's the mm-hmm. one that was that brought her family into this cult, the fold of this belief system. So. Yeah, and, and I was sometimes struck by Peter. Sometimes would start crying like a baby. Did y'all pick? Notice that? Like yeah. two or three times, yeah. it was almost like it was Charlie crying. You know, uh, so so desperately bawling. You know, like a little child would. So sad. Mm. Yeah, it just goes to the great performances this movie was, was full of. So, what's the source material? Was this? I, I didn't look it up. Does was? Do we know? Is is this something that the director wrote, or some, or just a screenplay somewhere? It's not from a novel or something. No, I think it was an original screenplay. Okay. 
because you know sometimes if there's a novel it's kind of fun to go back and read that and see if you can kind of decipher some of the mm. uh, elements of the film a little better but we're stuck it was uh written by the director i believe uh this is a little bit off but did did you see how much of the scholarship and the discussion of the film i didn't read into any of it because i'm trying to avoid it right now while i form my own opinions but how many of them mentioned the witch another film that we've talked about yeah i did mm. notice that which was another uh, movie that wasn't necessarily uh, appreciated by the audience i don't think but the critics yeah. enjoyed it well yeah at least one of the articles was about how good horror will always be divisive mm. how great horror will always be divisive uh, again i didn't read it because i'm trying to avoid it but uh, i did see that headline um, i also saw a headline that said that asked the question is the is hereditary a sequel to the witch wow i hadn't thought of it and I, 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 I haven't thought through the connections, but apparently there was enough that this guy had written an article about the connections between the two films. Uh, there is no, uh, I don't think any production or writing or there's no connection among the, the creatives on it as far as I can uh, tell. Yeah. Wow. Very good. But it did give me the same feeling. I'm out of left. Yeah. So downtrodden from watching the witch at the theater and the same for hereditary. Yeah, that's true. Just walk out in a stunned silence at the end, trying to figure out, uh, you know, where your mind is at the time. Yeah, evil wins in both cases, and um, you have a adolescent in in the witch. It's a girl, and it's Peter in in this film, um, who at the end kind of the witch is wholeheartedly Judeo Christian. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's got a lot of right. Yeah, so that doesn't work real well. No. I'll think about that more also. Well, what else? Any other themes come up or things you've noticed? Or have we exhausted for tonight our talking? We probably exhausted. I I, I feel like where we did a disservice, we'll leave the listeners with this, is uh, the grandmother was more pivotal than this. The dead grandmother who barely appears in the movie uh, was more pivotal than we made her. Right. I, I, the, the, the Tony Collette's performance uh, leads us to feel like she has been under the thumb of that mother. And there's the really creepy thing that when she was breastfeeding, that her mother yeah. got angry and wanted to feed Charlie. Like there, the, the grandmother is like a shadow cast over the movie as a whole. Uh, we, we kind of ignored that as we were talking, mm. but she was certainly a pivotal part of it. And, and obviously Joan was her friend and she set this up for Joan to come into their lives after she died and all that. Yeah. Which still just begs the question about this Pyman and the male thing, because even in some of those photos, it appears that the grandmother uh, Ellen was being celebrated that she seemed to be a pretty central figure, even among the other cult figures. Didn't you think? Yeah. All yeah, the disciples, yeah. all the leaders, uh, it's all women, right? Right. Well, and at the, at the end in the treehouse when Pyman is being crowned, there was a, a close up of a portrait of Ellen on the wall, which said our queen or queen Ellen or something like that. Mm-hmm. So she, she's kind yeah, she, you know, she's sort of the co-regent. Yeah, so I think you're right, Danny. There is a lot there to consider concerning the grandmother that we didn't talk much about. 
But it's, it's a great film. It's a hard film to watch, but I'm really glad that we were able to talk about it. And uh, Have you guys seen anything recently? Just real quick, you want to do a shout out to? Oh, uh, I, I'm sure I have seen some. I watched a really bad uh, teen horror movie set in the hood that was a uh, a uh, real black exploitation slasher, but I cannot think of what the name of it was. It did not have anything great. I have Shudder now, so I've been walking my way through films on oh, Shudder, cool. uh, and I've and I've made bad choices. <laughs> Everything I've started has been pretty bad. So, so nothing to recommend. Uh, other than Shutter's great. Oh yeah, you enjoying it? Yeah, I want to try that sometime. Uh, yeah, it's 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 well well worth the uh, the monthly cost. Cool. What about you, Scott? You seen anything lately? You know, I'm I'm racking my brain. I, I actually haven't watched a whole lot lately because um, I've been teaching and and doing my own uh, uh, doctoral work, and so I haven't watched as much lately. I have been reading. I've been I still read novels like at night. So I've been reading a little horror, but um, I can't think of what the last movie I saw besides Hereditary, which I rewatched today. Well, did either of you see Suspiria? Not yet. Uh, I watched about 15 minutes of it. Uh, it looked stylish and cool, but uh, I got interrupted. I haven't went back okay. to it yet. Yeah, that's one I'm mm. interested to maybe check out. I, I can't imagine it. I haven't really heard much about it either, whether people enjoyed it or not. You know, the great reap. I think they changed it almost entirely. It's almost like it was simply inspired okay. by the first okay. movie, which, uh, which is interesting. I think thematically it's very different. Um, Scott, I, let me recommend, uh, I was talking about Paul Tremblay on this nihilistic horror trend, but uh, if you haven't read The Cabin at the End of the World, I know Phil I, doesn't read fiction much, but uh, that is a very disturbing and, uh, I, I found it kind of ultimately unsatisfying, but I think it was the nihilism, which I'm, I'm kind of not been attracted to this movement towards nihilism and in the the horror lit. But uh, well, it's, I'm interested. It, it's really, really compelling. Uh, another family story, uh, really, really compelling. Uh, sort of to the payoff, and it it pays off very darkly. But then the other- well, I may check that out. I read I read um, his first uh, head full of ghosts and I like that head full head, of ghosts. I haven't read head full yeah. of ghosts yet. Okay, so I'm, actually, well. I'm actually reading uh, uh, Disappearance at Devil's Rock right now. I'm trying okay. to work my way through it through his stuff. Gotcha. The other big 2018 horror film was A Quiet Place. Did either you see that? I never saw it. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, I really, it. I really enjoyed it. It's, really that's enjoy. a fun, that, that's a, that's a very, you know, so a, a quiet place is it's a horror film, but it's also more than a horror film. And, but it's not as emotionally uh, nihilistic and devastating at no. all. No, it's, it's actually ridiculously hopeful considering yeah. some of the stuff that happens in it. But uh, I took my teenage daughter to see that uh, we were, traveling and she doesn't like horror films at all. And she loved the movie. Like she could not stop talking about it. As we left. Great. Theater. Well, I'll have to watch that one. Yeah. My, my wife doesn't, you should, cause my wife doesn't like horror films, but we went together to see this. Or she didn't like all horror films. She does like occasional horror movies, but she really liked a quiet place. So I think you definitely would enjoy yeah, it. Yeah. Great. I'll watch it. I'll- and if, and, and if you watch the Netflix, uh, 
was it Bird Box that was kind of a a take on the same mm-hmm. concept and mm-hmm. not nearly as good. So if you have your choice between those two, the Quiet Place was the better. And then did we ever discuss uh, Halloween, 2018 Halloween? No, we, we need to do we, an episode on that. We planned oh, you it, all may we have. never did. No, we didn't. We okay. never did. Okay. It didn't yeah, happen. So we really need to do that. So maybe A Quiet Place and Halloween. We've got a few things. And then the other thing I was going to ask you about – at uh, Halloween Horror Nights at the Universal Orlando Resort in Florida this year, me and my brother, we go every year. We've been going since 2003. Uh, no, that's not right. Two th- oh, my goodness. That is right. 2003. That's a long time. We haven't missed a year. Yeah, that's right, years. man. This will be, uh, be our 17th event. Uh, but anyway, this year they're doing Stranger Things again because last year was a colossal success. And they're going to do seasons two and three. And season three has not come out yet, right? Doesn't it come out? Uh, oh, it's, it comes out this summer. Uh, so you'll be able to have uh-huh. seen it before, you know, the mazes, the haunted house starts. Uh, but I've not worked all my way through even season two. So what what was your all's take on season two? Did you like it? Or I love the first season, but I haven't seen the second. I actually really enjoyed the second season. I, I think I'm just at this point really engaged with the characters so I just like it, seeing them have their adventures, uh, and it definitely hits. I'm an '80s kid. I grew up playing D and D. Like it, all, all of the fan service in there just hits me perfectly. I, I, I it, it rubs my nostalgia just the right way. So yeah, I enjoy. It. I didn't. It probably isn't quite as strong as season one, but still worth watching, huh? I think it is certainly. Yeah, I'd say the same. <clears throat> Have you seen that in season three that? In order to tie in with the, you know, what's happening, I guess, in the movies or in the episodes that Coke is going to re-release their quote unquote new formula that they did in 1985 or whatever. Yeah, I, I, I knew when you started that sentence, that's where you were going. We talked about that around the dinner table yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember what's really going to release new Coke. They're going to release new, new remember Coke. Remember the Bill yeah. Cosby thing with all the uh, commercials and everything with new Coke? And uh, I can, of course, remember it, but I don't remember it. I don't remember if I liked it or what it tastes like or anything. So that'll be kind of neat to be able to experience that. My memory of it was it was too sweet, but I haven't had a uh, a sugared beverage since probably then. So I don't. I, I, I will not be trying it this time either. Good grief, so, man! That's crazy. I, I do not drink. I don't drink uh, sugared oh. sodas. So, but I think it's cool that they're yeah. bringing it back. Yeah, I'm excited for the third season. You said it comes out this summer. Yeah, it comes out this summer because That's they're, they're, they're going to be theming. And somehow, I guess Universal already just knows what they're doing with it because they're already planning the houses, of course. So they they know where it's going. Uh, it's going to be pretty cool. All right, guys. Well, it's been great to catch nice. back up and to do another film. Uh, this was really fun. At least I thought so. Hope you all had a good time. And, yeah. Um, it's glad to be back at it. A little it. more regularly. Yeah. So thanks for tuning in again for – uh, Scott and Danny, this is Philip, and this is The Blackest Eyes. Go to the website, check out some of our written reviews and past podcasts, and uh, we'll try to get a little bit more consistent in the future. Until next time, stay scared out there, and we'll see you soon. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here. The Blackest Eyes, the Devil's Eyes.